chain smoking DMT for like four weeks or something like that. Whoa. And um, <clears throat> apparently the the rumor has it that like it can give you Alzheimer's if you do it frequently. So that might be something that I'm looking forward to. Riley out here on the microphone today. And uh, <clears throat> we're out here at Sober Champs, Pioneer Square, uh, Color Studios, Mondo in the building. Uh, behind the behind the cameras, uh, man, Rudy, what's up? How you feeling, Rude? What's going on, baby? I'm feeling good. This is summer's finally here in Seattle. Mm -hmm. yes, so, it is. man, can't complain. We got about two months to just enjoy this. So I'm trying to soak it in. Yeah, well, maybe a month. Then the start the smoke starts kicking in. It's gonna be <laughs> like, oh man, I thought I was. I the I was fires, have a good time. The fires, the fires. Oh man, that's terrible. I was gonna do that this year. Do a wildland firefighting. Uh, some stuff happened, some family stuff. Grandpa broke his neck, and so I got to stay in town and, like, take care of him. But You're going to be a wildfire fighter fighter? Fire, 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 I think it's like twenty-two bucks an hour starting off base, but you're yeah. in overtime in like three days, and so they just kick you off, keep you out there for a couple of weeks, a month, you know. You're just like out there, dirty, grimy, you know. You got you got all this yeah. soot all over you, and you're just like you're breathing. You're like, oh boy, it's, it's out. you're just like playing with chainsaws, cutting down trees right. on fire and stuff yeah. like that. It's like whoa. David Goggins, most. David Goggins does that stuff. You know, David Goggins. <laughs> Who's going to carry the boats? Yeah, come on, <laughs> and man. And the fucking logs. Yeah, that's my guy right there. He's my guy. <laughs> that's he the dude. my guy. Hey, yeah. Whew. In recovery, man, I started listening to him. I said, fuck what I was feeling. Yeah, for real. Hey, bro. I'm out here, man. Fuck everybody's feelings. This fool was jogging like 60 miles in one sitting. I'm like, bro, you're oh, like shit. bleeding inside and shit. Oh, like, no, it's <laughs> like if this guy could do 2,000 pull-ups, oh. I, could, I could stay sober. Oh, come on. Yeah. Come on. His hand, he's talking about his hands and anyway that's that's crazy but uh all right riley man we got you in the building we wanted to um just bring you in man we we've been watching you for a long time and you know we we've seen you for a long time and and uh what better time to get you in here uh than today and uh so we're gonna start off with do you have a sober date yes i do my name is riley uh and my sober date is january 6th of 2020 uh i work uh 12-step program i've got a sponsor in that program and i sponsor a couple of a couple of kids in the program and uh you know i love doing it yeah, yeah. how old are you 23 23 so I, yeah so i got i got sober when i just turned 20 yeah, mm, wow. just turned 20 damn 20 so you, you didn't even you didn't even get the full bar experience at 21 huh uh no i got the full bar experience at 19 because they was letting me in uh because i looked like i was you know older than i actually was and it was like i just act like i'm supposed to be there and they're like yeah what, what what can we get you i'm like some give me some uh some heineken give me some jameson you know all this all that and uh and it was cool you know just like rolling weed you know on the bar tables and stuff like that you know passing baggies of cocaine and stuff like that just doing it yeah yeah, yeah. so um what was your first uh experience with drugs and alcohol 
My first experience with drugs and alcohol. Maybe first seeing it, first watching it, first tasting it. So you, you tell us what your first experience was. I guess uh, my first direct experience with drugs and alcohol, um, I must have been, I don't know, uh, I would say 12 years old, 12 years old. My, uh, my dad used to be into... Uh, like native ceremonies, and uh, he found a group of people who was doing uh, ayahuasca ceremonies. So he took me down to a ceremony in California, and I was doing, I did ayahuasca down there, and uh, uh, I didn't, I don't remember getting high from it, you know, but I took like four shots of this shit, and I was like, oh, what do I feel, what do I do, and you know, apparently it had some sort of effect on my body, like they was telling me I fell asleep, and uh, I was like panting and rolling over, and and just like looking like I was freaking out and they came over and they started fanning me off and then I just let out this big old fart and I fell right back asleep and I was everybody was laughing and I was like oh cool like drugs is an option you know <laughs> and uh and uh and and I don't know I <clears throat> I stayed I I didn't really go I didn't go to another ceremony until I was about 15 years old uh and by that time like when I was 15 I had just finished my freshman year of high school so hold on. So between twelve and fifteen, you had that first experience with ayahuasca. Yeah. And then between twelve and fifteen, were you uh, dabbling with like weed or alcohol? Or no, no, no. I, oh. I, I mean, honestly, I didn't even consider ayahuasca a drug at that point. Like I was told that it was medicine. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's like, okay, like, you know, people would tell me it's like they're getting high off of it. I'm like, I don't even know what that means, bro. Right. Like that's that's like a foreign language to me. So you didn't see the Black Panther. I didn't see none of that stuff. Not none of the mm-hmm. caterpillars, none of the, right. the the drums beating. You know, without mm-hmm. them actually being there, I, I didn't experience none of that. Um, <clears throat> so you're but, in Cali right now. Did you move from here to Cali? No, 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 no. I did, we didn't move there. Okay. No, no. Uh, oh, you just went down there for so the ceremony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a space that they could do it safely because right. like that shit's really legal. You know. So, yeah. um, and uh, but my dad met the the people who did it up here, and they they, they all mobbed down there. You know. So, uh, but yeah, from 12 to 15, I didn't, I didn't do no drugs. You know, my, <clears throat> I, uh, I'm born to alcoholics, uh, drug addicts and, uh, uh, mom left when I was two, uh, to, uh, to relapse. She had six years clean, uh, uh, when she relapsed, I was two years old and, uh, you know, I, <clears throat> I remember the, you know, wishing my mom was there and all these questions like, was I not enough or like, where'd she go? Is she safe? You know, all this stuff. And so I was adamantly anti-drug, uh, from the ages of like four to like 15. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, when I was 15, I was, you know, like just starting to get those teenage hormones and like wondering like, yo, what's up? Like, do I fit in? You know, all this stuff, all these questions about life and, all this curiosity, and so I went to a party with uh, a, a a friend. Who, real, real quick, are yeah. you in Seattle? Yeah, you, in Seattle. Yeah, in Seattle? I've, I've lived in Seattle my whole life. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> went to Nathan Hale High School, and uh, I met a friend there who's a hardcore, hardcore dope fiend. Um, and he was he was tame back then when I was fifteen. He took me to a party, and uh, I'd seen a a friend I knew in middle school and he was like, Riley, come over here and hit these dabs. And I was like, what the fuck is a dab? You know? And, uh, 
and I hit it. I took like three of the three of them shits, and and I just remember like feeling getting that warm feeling and like mm. like oh like what am I worried about? I got nothing to be worried about, and like my vision get kind of like putting on drunk goggles a little bit. That's that was my first experience, and uh, and I pulled up and. They brought some boxing gloves to the thing, and so I was, like, fighting, you know, just, like, swinging on fools, getting swung on, and I was like, wow, this is this is what it feels like to be a part of. Mm. Uh, I had always struggled with that type of stuff, and so I'd found it, you know, and uh, and so I just kept going to those parties, and, uh, you know, I got drunk for the first time. First time I got drunk, I got blackout drunk, fell asleep, uh, like, walking up, walking up right, <clears throat> got on the bus, and got kicked off the bus for smoking some weed on the bus and then I got off with a random person and they took me to their house and mm. fed me applesauce and drugs for like three days and I was like man this I don't know where I am right now but this is this is a good deal you know it was free of cost <laughs> and, you know it was an experience it was a new experience and uh I was all about it and so that's kind of how things went for a while yeah did you like alcohol the first time you tried it yeah I, let's see I I'd taken like you know, sips of alcohol, you know, as a little kid, I would ask my dad, yeah. he'd be, like, be drinking yeah, whiskey or something here, like that, right. and, and I'll be like, what's that? Like, you know, and, and I, didn't, I didn't like the taste. I didn't know about the effects of being drunk, you know, when I was that little, so I, I kind of stayed, I stayed clear of it. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, at first I kind of liked it because um, it was just like, you know, I didn't have to control whatever I was saying or doing. It was just like it was all... It was all up in the air, and there was like a sense of freedom to it, um, you know, uninhibited living, right? And so, um, I did like the effects at first, and then you know, it got to the point where it's like every time I would drink, I get blacked out or I get sick, and it's like you know, I'm probably just gonna stick to the drugs for a little while, you know. But towards the end of my drinking, um, I was drinking every day. I was drinking, you know, like they they got like the Natty Ice or whatever, the 24 packs, and I was drinking, you know. A half, three quarters, whole case, you know, every night, you know, because uh, it was cheap, and uh, and it gets you drunk just like any other beer. So, um, yeah, towards the end, drinking was a real big part, real big part. Yeah, yeah. I just asked you that because, like, the very first time I ever drank, like, actually got drunk that I can remember, like, I hated it. I like, and as it progressed, you know, I, like you, like, then it became a part of my life and stuff like that, but. I just always remember, like, the very first time I drank, I was at a party, and it was, like, near Lake Washington, so, like, they had this kind of, like, deck that looked out on the lake, and I remember I was, like, a young teenager, and I just remember, like, I was I, I was crying, and I was, like, I, I was, like, wanted to jump in the water, like, I was, like, Whoa. yeah, I had, like, some psychological thing went on with me the very first time I drank. Was it, like, a shame thing or a guilt thing? You yeah, think? I don't know, I was just, like... I was just like kind of a depressed kid and yeah. like the alcohol is a depressant, right? So like yeah. it just like kicked my something happened and it flipped a switch in my brain where it was like I got like suicidal all of a sudden and I was Whoa. like tripping out on everybody yeah. at the party yeah. and it was just like I don't know cuz and actually to go way back with alcohol cuz you're talking about like experience in drugs and alcohol as like small kid mm. the very first time I got drunk actually was I was like 4 years old. Oh, really? Yeah, bro. I never told you this story either, I don't think. Um, I was at a Mexican restaurant with my parents in Belltown. Mama's, it's not there anymore. Yeah. But they ordered like a virgin margarita for me, and it ended up having alcohol in it. <laughs> so I, drank, I drank the whole thing. 
And like yeah. uh, my parents yeah. tell me the story like it was kind of funny, but right. But I think I might have got some like brain damage or something from that because apparently yeah. I was like dancing on the tables and doing stuff that like a drunk person does as like a four year old. Wow. And then wow. I threw it all up. And oh, like yeah. so I'm it might have gave me some brain damage or something. Yeah, yeah it could I mean, certainly possible. Yeah, it's very yeah, a young man like that, drinking like that, that's a, uh, yeah, I think when, for me, one of the first times when I got drunk was like, it was like the spinning that happened. I remember mm. being on my bed and just being like, ooh, shit. Like, this spinning is like not fun, but like, it's kind of fun and so it was out of control but man something about it that that kind of lifting of the spirit of like stress and I, I can really relate to that dabbing um story of like just letting weed would allow me to calm like just get these fucking obsessions out of my mind about crazy yeah. shit and no I just shit. let yeah. the shit go and I just be sitting there like, all right. All right. It yeah. like it like clear the pathway yeah. to just like chill, bro. Yeah. And that that was like one of my that was one of those things that man, when were you were you using when dab pens and like everything was uh yes. legal at that point? So yeah, it's like I started using like the the year after recreational weed was legalized in Washington. Okay. And so like everybody was on it, you yeah. know. Um it's like the cops went, we didn't really get in trouble from cops, you know. I've never, I've never been detained or nothing. Like I've been chased by police, but it's like, you know, I've never gotten in trouble with the law for drugs. And uh, and so it's like, you know, we just did whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we, there was dab pens. You know, it's like people were starting to experiment with uh, other drugs in pens at the same time too. You know, uh, we used to rip those like DMT pens and stuff like mm. that too. And uh, <laughs> Talk man. about that, hold yeah. on, dude. 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 Crazy, bro. Shit? Did you see God? So the first time I did DMT, it wasn't out of a pen. It was out of like this, uh, this like what? kind of vapor. It was kind of like a crack pipe a little pen? bit, mm. but like you know, it oh, got yeah. a stone in it, so you don't burn the the chemicals. And so I smoked it, and it's like it did the one hit, and I started getting mm. that buzzing, like it's two hits. Sorry, that buzzing starts turning into like, and my vision starts kind of like spacing out. I start seeing like this little, like hole, and it, yeah, I'm like coming closer and closer into it. And and by the third hit, it's like this stuff is it's kind of nasty, but it's like you know it kind of fills your lungs. It really like expands in your lungs. By the third hit, that buzzing is like, and you go through this whole, it, it feels like blasting it off in a rocket ship. Yeah. You know, that's the experience that I've collected from a lot of people who've like broken through on DMT. Mm. And uh, that was my, let's see, I thought I died. I thought I died and, uh, and I had like, you know, died from this, from, from doing drugs. And I was like, fuck, my dad is going to kill me, bro. <laughs> like I died from doing drugs, oh, bro. Man. Like not cool. Uh, but like I had this really wonderful experience where, um, uh, I started like taking into account the things that I was saying and the direction in which they steered me. So it's like, if I'm talking negatively on myself, like, like I, I, I played with it a little bit during this trip. If I was talking negatively on myself, everything would get like, like dark and discolored and disfigured and like ugly shapes would pop up. Mm -hmm. And I was just like tripping like. Oh God, this is gross. And yeah. then I would say something positive, like, like you don't have to worry about. There's nothing to worry about, or uh, like everything is going to be just fine. Yeah. And then it would just like explode into this uh -huh. beautiful, 
yeah. like all these geometric patterns would uh -huh. fill in and it's like i had my buddy dancing right next to me and he was just doing this little dig and like he looked like a he looked like a bird he like grew wings and yeah. like he looked like a bird and, and you know this is just a, a weird little visual experience that i had but it's like i was standing inside of this like y little yin and yang symbol and i was like balancing on one foot and i uh i understood at that moment that um there's nothing out of balance in the universe. Like there's give and take for every single thing that happens. And, uh, and that was an experience that drugs had given me. It was like, it was, it was really valuable. Uh, and it, it took me, it took me through some hard experiences. It like kept me sane through some real hard right. experiences. And so it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to knock like everything about my drug experiences. Mm. It's like, it wasn't all fucking fucked up it was right. like some of it was really cool and i learned yeah. a lot of valuable stuff from it but at the same time um i didn't need to do drugs to learn all this stuff right you know it's just it just came to me right and so and it was just my experience but uh from that point on i was like dmt and so i started hitting those pen like i had this buddy uh he was kind of like this uh like special needs wannabe gangster dude and he like stole a box of of DMT pen, like it was like time out, man. Let's get this something straight. Yeah, a DMT pen, pen. So we're talking about like a it's like a pen? it's like a dab pen. The fuck out of here with fucking DMT inside where do you of the get cartridges. One of those at? Bro, I don't know where he got. It. He was like, whoa, whoa, I got it off the talk, you know. And like I was like, whoa, like what do you mean? And it was just three hundred grams of DMT, and it's wow. like you know anything about DMT, you need less than uh, sixty milligrams to get high. Three hundred grams is like. That's tens of thousands of dollars worth of drugs, and I'm like, bro. And he's just giving them out like candy. Wow, and, uh, that's incredible. And so it's like I was like chain smoking DMT for like four weeks or something like that. Whoa. And um, <clears throat> apparently the the rumor has it that like it can give you Alzheimer's if you do it frequently. So that might be something that I'm looking forward to. But uh, <laughs> looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> right. My memory is shoddy as it is, you yeah. know. But um, I'm like chain smoking this DMT, and uh, there was a couple moments in there where I thought I was like, like my heart rate slowed down to a, such a point that I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna die." And uh, and like the same experience happened, you know, that happened on my first DMT trip, where I was like, "Oh God, I just died," but it stayed. It didn't just like evaporate when the high was gone. I, I legit thought I was dead for a year and like nothing I did would be of consequence. Uh, like, it, like everything would just like, I don't know, fall into place normally or something like that. Like, uh, like nothing I did mattered, you know, cause I was already dead. And so, and so I lived like that for a little while, just doing all the drugs I could find, getting as blackout drunk as I could get, you know, dropping like 15 hits of acid at a time and like, you know, just like tripping constantly, and uh, but what you said there too about how like with psychedelics, with my experience too, I did have that feeling too that everything is gonna be fine. The universe loves you, like that. I'm seeking that through sobriety right now because like I've done some experiences with psychedelics where I felt that that mm -hmm. like everything's gonna be fine. Experiencing God for sure, and I'm trying to get back to there, and it's like it's almost like I've been there, so I know where I'm trying to go. And and this sobriety thing of getting there like in a natural way, that's that's the journey I'm on right now because I've yeah. been there and I'm trying to get back there naturally. Yeah. So um, 
that that's like a periodic thing for me. You know, like it comes that comes in waves. You know, just mm-hmm. kind of like it, kind of like psychedelics. You know, it like comes in waves where right. it's like everything's fucked. Like fucking, like what am I doing here? And I'm like tripping out. And then like somebody will say something to me, or uh, I'll just like be sitting quietly, trying to calm myself down, or not trying to calm myself down, and just feeling whatever it is I'm feeling. And then it passes, and then it's like, oh, like I have access to just being okay, you know, because mm. it is okay. Yeah. Right. It's like there are really, you know, I live in Seattle, Washington, man. Like, there's not a lot of stuff for me to be tripping about. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, like, uh, as a as a societal standard, I'm probably like lower middle class. You know, but uh, you know, like to, you know, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people who have ever lived on this planet, uh, I'm a really rich person. You know, yeah. um, it's like I can I have access to food. Uh, I live in a place with running water and electricity. I, uh, you know, I have like this phone that I can get in contact with my people um, if anything ever goes wrong or I'm feeling lonely or I need to, you know, say something to somebody, get something off my chest. It's like I have access to so many resources that, you know, not everybody like most people who have ever lived have not had access to. And so that brings about like this point to be grateful and yeah. to be like oh yeah like just like this remembering it's like oh yeah everything is okay mm. no you know? no with that being said it that didn't happen that didn't sound like it was happening when you were doing a 24 hits of acid and fucking dmt and and so there there must have been a time in which was there a, a bottom or a point in which you were like yo this ain't working yeah. I, need, I need to switch this shit up because you can have all the fucking exciting <laughs> times you want and all this but when did your best friend switch on you? So, um, let's see, it switched. I mean, there there was probably a million points where it switched. You know, it's like, because it's that wave thing where it's like it ebbs and flows. And it's like sometimes it's real dark. And sometimes it's like the best thing ever. Um, uh, so, one point where it switched up, and uh, this was when I actually first realized that I was an alcoholic. I was 16 years old. And uh, I was like... I was looking for some for some papers or something to roll up some weed. I was over at uh, Adams Park, over on 61st, you know, uh, by the QFC over there in Ballard, by mm-hmm. the by the skate park, by mm-hmm. the by the Ballard Bowl, and uh, uh, I couldn't find any. So I, I went out, and uh, my friends had gotten this uh, twenty dollar half gallon of Prestige vodka, and uh, and I, I went out looking for some papers. Somebody gave me a cigarette so I could stuff it with some weed. And I was like, cool, whatever. Came back and. Uh, uh, they were all like doing shot contests, right? And I was like, "Oh, fucking, you know." And I had this like big ego. It's like, "Oh yeah, I can handle anything." It's like, you "Just, just give it to me, and I'll fucking do it." And so, took the bottle. There was half of the half gallon left, and I saw it was exactly half. And uh, I just took it and started mm. chugging, 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 chugging. Took forty shots, and uh, it was I uh, completed the whole bottle. And uh, I remember stuffing this uh the cigarette with some weed and then the next moment i was in the hospital um Mm. uh you know it was like 12 hours later or whatever but like it was february 22nd of 2016 i remember that much and uh you know i died i died from uh uh, hypothermia not alcohol poisoning i had fallen asleep in the cold for like three hours and all my friends were like taking pictures of me and stuff and like damn this fool's drunk but it was like no this fool's dying you know and uh 
And so my body temperature dropped down to 93 degrees and they had to put like a bunch of heat blankets over me and resuscitate me and all this stuff. And I woke up in the hospital with like the breathing tube and the catheter and restraints and all this stuff. And, and I looked over and my dad was there and I was like, fuck, fuck. And, uh, uh, and like I fell asleep and I had the worst hangover of my life. And I was like, I'm never going to fucking do this again. I'm never going to do this again. Never going to do this again. And, uh, and I was just sitting there in the hospital kind of like contemplating my decision. And I was like, damn, like that's brutal, you know, but like the insanity of it was, is that, uh, I was like, yeah, uh, I'm going to do some more stuff like that, you know, cause it gave, it gave me the sense of, um, like being bigger than fucking death. Basically. It's like that shit should have killed me. Mm. And I was just like, I'll fucking, I can handle anything. And so, it's like I got out of the hospital that day, and at this point I was doing drugs and, and drinking with my dad, and I was like, I need a beer and I need some weed. And he's like, word, I'll get you. You know, and, uh, you know, so God bless his heart. You know, yeah, your trying. dad's part of your story where you, you used with him. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we used to do, like, mushrooms and stuff together. Um, okay. I actually got a gnarly story about that one. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how many, like, horror stories we're going to get into on this. I, I, wherever this you know, journey takes us. Wherever it takes us, yeah. Um, I remember... I was, uh, like, late 2016, I think, like December or January 2017, and um, <clears throat> I had bought my dad an, an ounce of mushrooms, and we had taken it to the house, and I bought him, a, like, a strip of acid or something, and uh, and I dropped these mushrooms. I did, I did, like, an eighth of mushrooms, and I didn't realize my, uh, like, me buying uh, drugs for my dad. I had got him interested in old stuff. Like I said, he's an alcoholic and a drug addict. He used to smoke a lot of meth when he was a kid. You know, he got in trouble in California and, um, uh, something, something clicked where it was like, we were renovating our house and he was under a bunch of stress and he was like, all right, so I guess I'm just gonna smoke some meth to make this process go quicker and I can stay up to do this, this, this project. And I didn't realize that he was smoking meth at the time, but like I gave him this acid and he took it. He'd been up for like two or three days, you know, off of this meth. But he didn't know. He didn't know he had been off the no. meth for three Yeah, no. here's some acid. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like he's already in delirium, basically. And uh, I'm tripping. I'm just, like, vibing out. You know, my, my sister and her, her boyfriend are there. And uh, I start hearing this crashing noise coming from his room. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And I was, like, you know, deep in this trip. And so I went to check in on him. He was alone, which I fucking knew it's like you never leave somebody alone on psychedelics but um uh i went to his room and like he opened the door or i knocked and he opened the door and it was just like black beady eyes and i was like what the fuck is going on with you and like i laughed a little bit i chuckled and he like threw me out of the room i was like what the fuck dude and like he fucking dove at me to tackle me and i was like holy fuck bro like slow your roll and i like put him in a headlock i was like fucking stop and uh, I let him out of the headlock, and he fucking grabbed the knife, and he was like, am I going to kill my son right now? Am I going to fucking, you know, he was, he's That's deep. what he's saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, he was, like, deep in this acid meth fucking psychosis thing, and I was like, no, you don't want to do that, dude. That is not what you want. And I'm, like, mind you, I'm tripping on mushrooms, and I'm, like, all emotional, and I'm just like, what the fuck is supposed to be happening right now? And, uh, and... Like, he dropped the knife and got to his knees, and um, his best friend, his, like, adopted brother, uh, well, let's see, uh, my sister's boyfriend, like, hit all the knives around the house and uh, and called my dad's 
uh, like adopted brother and like this dude's been on a thousand you know acid trips and it's like he's experienced in the ways and he came over and talked him down and I'm just like crying and uh, and I like ran to my room trying to fall asleep couldn't fall asleep because of these mushrooms and I was mm. like fuck God how could God let this happen you know it was like I thought I thought my dad hated me or something you know and I was you know he was he was in his own delusion you know I had nothing to do with like anything I did or anything, but he thought he's just like the only way to save me or something was to fucking kill me or to save himself. And it was like, whoa. And, uh, but you know, that stuff like that didn't deter me from, from getting loaded. Yeah. And, uh, and that's more proof now that I am a fucking drug addict and alcoholic. Yeah. Cause, uh, that really didn't stop me. I dropped acid the next day, you know, trying to like chase that feeling away. Wow, how's your relationship with your dad today? We're cool. We're homies, man. Mm-hmm. That was the last. That was the last time he ever smoked meth, to my knowledge. Uh, that's what he's told me, anyway. He's he's a hardcore alcoholic still, but um, uh, you know he's he's a religious man and he's got his own his own path to follow. And I love him to death, you know. And uh, we have we have a lot of laughs. Um, I look like him. I sound like him. You know. Uh, I mean, he was my—he was the one that raised me. You know, it's like my mom was out there, and so uh, it's like I have—I got nothing but love for my dad. You know, yeah. uh, he did the best he could, and and uh, you know, he—he—he he, he knew when I was a kid is like I—I'm—I'm I'm not in control of this kid. Yeah, like, he's got his own deal. He's gonna have to fucking God is his only protector, bro. And it's like I just gotta stand by and let the shit happen. And I'm really grateful for that experience because I got to go out and see the world for what it was you know i have my own little experience with it and uh and you know i didn't have nobody chasing me down i didn't have i you know i never went to i never got forced to go to any rehabs or nothing and uh you know it's like i just did what i was gonna do and until until it was time for me to stop so did you ever run you said you had no run-ins with the law what was the closest you came by the way, you got a little bug over here. On Do the, I? Yeah, on the other side. I'm going to help you him out with that. Did I get it? Is it, it still No, nah, it's in the middle. Oh, there shit. you go. You got it. Got it? Think, did he get it? Yeah, we got it. All right, cool. Thank you. No most, problem, most yo. People, most we can edit that out. Hey, yeah, that, yeah. You know? I mean, hey, man, we're going <laughs> to mark that with <laughs> notes early, Mondo. Uh, yeah, but but one of the things, did you, what were your run-ins with the law? Honestly, did you like, ever have any like running just, like yo? What? Not not like direct. Con- I've never even been detained. Like really? Yeah, yeah. You no, I mean I used to get, dude, <laughs> like, you know, I'm running around with people lying. who are like toting weapons right. and like you know getting in all sorts of fights and like doing big dope stuff. And right. I was just like, I don't think a cop was ever present for any. Well, no. When I was a kid, like when I would go to like these like uh, like beach parties and stuff like that, we would bring boxing gloves, and that's what would get the cops called on us. But like I said, like you know, it was really chill. Like. For me, you know, like the cops would just show up and everybody knew to dip out and they wasn't arresting nobody. And right. so I was just like, oh, I'll just go where everybody else is going. And like, yeah. uh, that is the closest I've come to uh, an encounter with cops. When I was 11, I, I don't know. I, when I was 11, uh, I became scared of cops. Uh, I, I wasn't doing drugs or nothing, but I was over in Auburn and I was like, I had this like BB gun, this, uh, this pellet gun thing. And I was toting it around and, uh, uh, I I don't know. It, was, it looked like a real gun, and somebody called the cops, and like cops came along and pointed their fucking nine millimeters at me, like get on the ground. And I'm like, fuck, oh, dude, like what did I do? You know, and it's right. like I didn't even. 
process the fight. So from that point on, I was just scared of cops, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get myself in any, like, deep shit with police, you know. Um, I was deterred. So yeah. I'm grateful for that experience. But. Yeah. Did you... um? So what? What's your drug of no choice? Like, uh, what? What got you to where you are today? Uh, cocaine. Oh shit! There we go. Cocaine. Talk. Talk a little bit about your experience drug with that. Of no choice. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I caught my yeah. When I, when I was in rehab, they they used to be like, "So what's your DOC?" Yeah. And I was like, "Motherfucker, listen." I ain't got no DOC. I don't know what the fuck. This is not, I am not being detained by anyone here. I came on my own, you know, my own choices. And then they were like, no, no, drug of choice. And I was like, man, listen here. If I had a choice, motherfucker, I would have said none. Like, I would have said no choice. I don't choose any of them, motherfucker. So anyway, but yeah. Uh, Yeah, cocaine. Um. Well, you know, I, and really, like that was that was the one I liked the most, right? Yeah. But it's like whatever, whatever you had, you know, it's like <laughs> welcome to the club, shit, dude. You like, feel that? You feel that vibration that. over there, Rudy? Man, I was all about the cocaine too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cocaine and alcohol. Yeah, man, that was it. Little, that was nice my marriage. Yeah. Hey, but so hey, you guys seem like energetic cats. So then, when you guys got on coke and like and drank at the same time. Wouldn't there be a heightened alertness to the group of people that you're around that, hey, man, these guys got some extra juice in their system? No, not extra juice. <laughs> For me, cocaine, like, it brought me down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was actually I was, the same way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would be like, hey, let's, like, read a book, you know, or, or like, <laughs> let's, like, make some yeah. love. But, you know, fucking, I was just like, you know, it really, like, it got me focused on, like, mm-hmm. the present moment, right? right. Where right. I was just like, I wasn't worried about, like, what I looked like or, you know, who was feeling me, who wasn't feeling me. I was just like, yeah, I'm fucking feeling myself a little bit, you know, and I'm fucking, I'm here. And uh, uh, that's how it was for most of the time that I did cocaine. Towards the end, it got a little violent. Like, I almost threw this dude off a four-story balcony for fucking running around the party, like, you know, getting in people's faces and shit. I was like, stop, 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 stop. And he wouldn't stop. And I was like, all right, motherfucker, let's go. And uh, And I... You know, I feel guilty about that situation still. You know, it's not who I am. I'm I'm a pretty nonviolent person, you know. But uh, uh, there's been a couple weird encounters with this stuff, you know. Yeah, the thing about cocaine with me, too, is, is it was almost like the opposite of psychedelics. Yeah. Like, especially, like, when you're coming down, it was like with the psychedelics, like, I get this feeling of, like, everything is fine. The universe loves you. Everything is going to work out great. Mm-hmm. But with cocaine, it was, for me, it was just like, everything's fucked. Oh really? Oh, yeah, wow! Like, like it was just like chaos. It was kind of chaos in my. In yeah, my, the come. You mean the come down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when you have nothing left, that was a. That that's was like the that's emptiness. the real bummer, bro. Yeah, the emptiness like, of oh, like, oh, no. where'd that go? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought I was supposed to do a couple of lines. It yeah. might be fine, but yeah, no, it was, it's always the whole bag. So always you, the whole bag. Did you go to rehab? Never went to rehab. Never no. went to rehab. Nope. Explain that. So um, what, what happened? So. uh it was actually like a mushroom trip that kind of got me on the path of like, okay, mm. like something is really fucking wrong here. I yeah. was, uh, I wasn't dating this girl. We went on a couple of dates and, uh, but she's like, she's got her own thing and she wasn't really feeling it at a certain point. I think I was pretty clingy dude and, uh, I was doing a bunch of drugs and, uh, <clears throat> I like, I, t- let's see, let's see. I-, I took these mushrooms at work. Like, uh, uh, not at, not at work. That would be fucking dangerous. Chainsaws and mushrooms don't com- combine. I don't think. But 
Um, oh shit! Here we go. Uh, no, it was after work. It was after. Work. It's, there's nothing. There's nothing big there. It's just after work, and uh, I, I hit these mushrooms, and I'm there for an hour, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go see this girl, and I get on the bus, and like for some reason, I was just felt like I needed to be scrolling on my phone, and it was like the day after uh, Trump had bombed Iran or something like that, and uh, or like sent missiles or something. I don't. I don't know what the deal was, but like there was all these memes and like news articles of like World War Three happening about to happen right now and i'm like balls deep in this mushroom trip i'm like oh fuck like i'm about to get drafted and like you know i'm thinking about it and just like all emotional and cognizant of my mortality and i'm like fuck dude like i've spent my whole life fucking doing nothing you know i was a kid i was like i was stuck to video games you know i just wanted to not be like in the world around me i was i wasn't sociable i wasn't doing none of this shit i was fucking and then you know, I just wasted a bunch of time, like, my whole adolescence doing drugs, right? And just going to parties, not learning nothing, and fucking, like, not doing anything productive with myself. And I was like, fuck, I wasted it, you know? And uh, and at that point, my uh, <clears throat> my mom had been about four years clean. I, I got off of this mushroom trip, and uh, I was just sitting at home, just contemplating this shit for, like, three days, you know, smoking this weed. And I was like, all right, I got to fucking do something. This is a problem. I, and I tried a few times to stop before, and it's just like, it's that thing where, uh, you know, in our literature it says, like, we cannot remember uh, the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. And it's mm -hmm. like I would make these promises and then, like, literally, like, two hours later, like, not even think about them or, or like, justify them in some way to be like, oh, yeah, it's like find a drink, you know, whatever. And so it's like I made a few of those promises and um, – and at this point, I was just like, it's too much. And so I called my mom. She had been four years sober, and I was like, I need help, you know. Um, and and she was like, okay, be at this address tonight. Uh, uh, actually, no, she, I, didn't, I wasn't, didn't have a car, so I was like, I'm going to come pick you up. And she picked me up, and I went to my first meeting. Uh, and, uh, and that was it. Like, I, I don't know. I, I stayed there, and I was like, man, all these people are like, missing teeth and you know they're they look crunchy you know they weren't you know dressed to the way that i like people to be dressed and shit and like and they're all like laughing and jigging and having a good time and i was like what the <laughs> fuck dude yeah. you know it's like these people don't have the answers right. you know like there ain't no way there's no way i thought they were liars you know yeah. i was like you motherfuckers are tripping yeah. uh but like i couldn't deny that they were happy Right. And they they had something going on. And I was like, all right, let me just let me see what's going on. And at this point, you know, I was fucking suicidal. I was like, man, like, I don't know if I'm going to fucking make it to the next meeting. And so yeah. it's like they kept I, I was telling people that and they were like, all right, come to this meeting, come to this meeting, come to this meeting. And I was like, fuck. All right. You know, and uh, I started going to meetings and I started making connections. And, you know, I'm like. Uh, my normal disposition is like kind of nervous and like, you know, uh, like, like distant, you know, uh, standoffish. And so it's like people come up to me in meetings. I'm like, like, I don't know about this, you know. Uh, and but like people just kind of like force themselves on me. It's like <laughs> you're coming here. They like and hug like, you and shit. Yeah, I'm like, oh. for consent. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, okay. C's for consent. Yeah, yeah no not, there's no, Sometimes there's no. Some big dudes come. Hey, brother, how's it going? You know, they're like squeezing me. And shit. I'm like, get off, bro. Like, come on now. But you know, at a certain point, it was just like, okay, like 
I'm absorbed into the thing. And and I had a place, right? You know, it's like as delusional and fucked up as I was, it was like, uh, I got a place here, you know? And I don't I don't have to I don't have to worry about like being who I am. Yeah. You know, that was that was like the subconscious thing. Of course I have my habits, you know, that I've accumulated over the years of like, you're not good enough, so fucking, you know, talk this way, walk this way, act this way, but like you know, eventually as time come to pass, it's like all of that stuff was absolved, you know, and I could just kind of be free to be me, you know, just like right now. It's like, I'm not talking to you any different the way <laughs> than the way I would talk mm-hmm. to anybody else than, than I would talk to my grandma or my dad or whoever, you know, my right. mom. And, uh, and that's a good feeling, man. You know, it's a very freeing feeling. It's a freeing feeling. Yeah. I, I think what you're bringing up is just like finding who we were kind of, I mean, obviously, our, our trials and tribulations bring us to this point, but, like, doing the work um, and being, you know, giving some, getting some tools, some spiritual tools, I've been able to find who I'm, like, who I am. Yeah. And, like, that person does not need to pretend or fake or chameleon, be a chameleon just to fit in here or there. It's just, it's this, like, uh, I'm very comfortable with who I am today. Now people can take that or leave that, but regardless if they take that or leave that, the majority of time I'm okay with that. Yeah, no doubt, man. And it's this thing where like uh you know, you don't you don't know how to do it until you're in it. You know, it's like you can't fake your way to being comfortable with yourself. I mean, you can try, but it's usually yeah. like you know, I mean, it's it's completely counteractive, right? Uh you just have to like sit in the thing and like be uncomfortable with being who you are but like be who you are right and uh that was a weird lesson that i had to learn because i've I've, i made a lot of friends with a lot of people that i don't really click with doing that stuff and like a lot uh, a lot and and you know just like trying to be a certain way it's like ah that didn't work i'll hang out with these fools over here they seem like they got it going on it's like those fools don't have it going on either and it's like well where do i stand and so at that point it's just me and god Right. And it's like, okay, uh, like I have to cultivate this relationship with God to understand who I am. And, uh, and so I did a lot of prayer and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm three and a half years sober and, uh, but I've, I've, I've only got about six months of like solid, you know, rock solid recovery where it's like, okay, like I'm going to do these things that people tell me to do, right? Like these steps. And I'm going to get right with whatever my creator is, whatever that means. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to do what they tell me. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray every day. And I'm going to uh, reach out to people when I don't want to reach out to people. And I'm going to uh, just like talk to people the way that my voice allows me to talk to people. And uh, the result of that was that um, I started cultivating a relationship with myself where it was like, oh, like, I don't have to fucking uh, pretend that I'm something that I'm absolutely not. I'm not like a fucking gangbanger. Uh, you know, like the people that I looked up to, I'm not like some fucking, I'm no Scarface. I'm no, uh, I'm not a, 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 a rock star, a rap star, whatever, you know. I'm not like this big vision of myself, right? Mm. It's just like I'm I'm Riley, you know, and and it turns out that people actually love Riley, you yeah. know, uh, for who Riley is. And it's like, oh, 
fuck, I had access to this thing the whole time and I couldn't see it, you know? Um, and that that is the freedom that I've gotten from this thing, from being sober. You know, I never would have realized that shit if I was still doing drugs, man. It's like I'm stuck in delusion the whole time that I'm doing drugs. You know, I'm tripping, you know? I like doing shit that makes me not here, you know, that turns me into something else. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to not have to experience that today. Man, that's beautiful because I can relate a lot because basically that's what I'm learning about myself too, that, like, it's okay for me to be, like, kind, loving, mm-hmm. sensitive, you know, a good friend, like, good son, like, all these things that, like, it's, like, mm-hmm. kind of born with that <clears throat> essential, basic goodness that we get away from it. And, like, through recovery, I've found that I can get back to that, yeah. which was, like, why I was put on this planet. Right. And it's also, like, the the other side of that is also, like, learning to be okay with not always being those mm-hmm. things, right? Where it's like, yeah, sometimes I'm not, like, a good son. You know, it's like, I don't... I There was a point where I didn't talk to my dad for, like, eight months or something like that. It's like, th- this dude raised me. And it's like... I really have the audacity to not call him for eight months. You know, I felt really shitty about that for a sec. But then it's like, all right, well, you know, it's done. Like, I can pick up the phone now, you know, and just, like, call the dude. And 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 that's something I've been experimenting with recently, where it was like, the other day I was kind of feeling disconnected. And, like, I was just, uh, I think we were talking on the phone about this. Maybe, maybe not. Or maybe that was with my sponsee, but. Um, I was just feeling disconnected and like I was getting all jaded and resentful that um, uh, like nobody was calling me. Right. You know, I just like expect people to to reach out to me all the time, you know, like when I need it. Right. And then uh, and then like, you know, when they reach out to me, when I don't feel like I need it, I'm like, this is a burden. Like, fuck off. What are you doing? You know, and. But I just, I, 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 I felt this thing and I was like, okay, like what, what have people told me to do when I'm starting to feel like this? And it's just mm-hmm. like, reach out, you know? Uh, like it doesn't matter if nobody's calling me right now when I feel like I need people to call me right now because they can't fucking read my mind and there's not some sort of like, you know, uh, like telepathic fucking uh, 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 line that I just have with everybody that's established, you know, it's just like, I'll, I'll reach out. And, uh, and so I reached out to 20 people and about six of them got back to me. And the trip was that, uh, I wasn't tripping on the 14 people that didn't hit me back. I was focused on the six. Right. You know, and I was talking with my sponsor about that yesterday and he was like, that's, yeah, that's the nature of uh, cherry trees. Um, what we're here for is to propagate and to cultivate relationships. Right. And so, you know, where you just like you spread your roots and you plant your seeds. Right. And of the of the 20 seeds that you planted, six of them grew right into whatever little stocks are they're going to be. And it's so it's like and I was reaching out to people that I don't really know or talk with. And so I could have just cultivated six new relationships just based on this feeling of like I need to get out of myself. Right. I need to like stop thinking that uh, the world is going to suit my needs when I need it to and just start being of service, right? Because it makes people feel good when you call them, right? It, feel, it makes them feel important, and it makes them, it, it makes them like, you know, want to reach out, you know? Um, and so it just, it felt good to be in that situation. And, like, now it's in the, now I'm in a place where it's like, why was I tripping about this shit? It's like, I had the answer the whole time, you know? And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be here to, 
you know, experience that. You know, that's a good lesson for me to learn. Yeah, I think, sure. I think, yeah, I think one of the things that you're talking about, like, uh, so one of my my <laughs> counselors at Lakeside, he he was like, you know what surrender sounds like? And everybody around the circle was like, uh, no, what is it? He said like this. And it sounds like what you're what you're kind of talking about is like when that six months started to take place in this last six months. Yeah, there's a change that's happened. And if you were to have told me that the recipe for uh, staying was to get and reach out to others, mm. I would have told you you were crazy Tripping. because again, it's not, I, what is it, we're wor- we need to worry about me me. I got to yeah, worry about, about me. me. Yeah. So if this has nothing to do with me, this is a recipe for disaster, <laughs> and I am not part of this. And yeah. so yeah, dude. it's interesting that uh, almost every or every single guest we brought on this joint comes with that, with the fact that, like, yo, we need to get out, to get outside of self is the key. Right. Well, so, you know, like one way to think about it is that uh, our brains are, are problem solvers, right? You know, it's like we were designed to like fix shit and make shit like go our way. And, you know, cause, uh, based on this, uh, this idea of scarcity, right. Where it's like, okay, so resources are scarce, you know, like I need money to get food and to get shelter and like, you know, get, build a house, whatever. And so it's like, okay, I need to build tools. Right. So it's like, you, you go to school, you get, you get, uh, you get tools to build your finances, you get tools to build relationships, you get all of these things. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, now you have these tools and you're focused on like, you know, just f- fixing whatever needs to be fixed. It's like, okay, I got the car. I got the, I got the roof over my head. I got the, the smoking hot girlfriend. And so it's like all of my problems are solved. And now it's like, well, what the fuck else am I supposed to do? Because, mm. you know, based on the fact that we are problem solvers, uh, if there is not a problem, we are going to fucking make one. You know, every single time, you know, it happens all the fucking time. And so, you know, we start like, you know, we start like having Internet affairs with our fucking, you know, against our wives or we, uh, you know, we start fucking rumors about our friends, you know, start lying. We start fucking deceive, deceiving, stealing. Um, and we're just like focused on like how we can fucking make ourselves feel better, you know, uh, especially as alcoholics where it's like. I need to fucking change the way that I'm feeling right now. Yeah. Like not right now, but right fucking now. And so, uh, <clears throat> you know, we just, we just create these problems. And, uh, and so, you know, when we, when we're like focused on ourselves, we're creating these problems. But then when we're focused on somebody else, it's like, oh, there's something that I can help fix, you know? Uh, and it's only when you get that knowledge of like, like this will get me out of me. And when I'm in me, like shit starts getting weird, you know, like it goes off the, it goes off the charts. Shit starts getting haywire. And so like, uh, when I'm not focused on me, I can focus on somebody else. And then all of a sudden I don't really have problems or my problems are, you know, minuscule compared to this person's problems or whatever, you know? And it's like, I get the opportunity to fix it. And then, and trying to help somebody else, you know, it says in our literature, our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend on our constant thought of yeah. others and how we may help meet their needs, right? So uh, when I've tried to help, when I put in the effort to help somebody meet their needs, what I've done is establish a connection, right? It's like I've given this person uh, the sense that uh, I'm willing to help them see through. 
And that builds really strong bonds, dude. You know, survivors of a wrecked ship, right? Um, that's what we. That's that's what we're in. That's yeah. what we are together. You're yeah. talking about those roots of the trees. You know, I love that cherry tree example because, and it just so happens we got the cherries on the logo. Um, there's cherries on that painting behind yeah. you. He's got the cherries on his shirt. This was not even programmed today. <laughs> I didn't even know he was going to talk about a cherry tree today. <laughs> but that trip, is bro. great That's that you brought this up. This is going to be very good for a storyline here. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing because those roots are strong. I mean, if strong. you've seen a cherry tree, they, they got those big branches, and they're just they're strong, and they're they're low to the ground, and they're just – Man. Right. And well, and it's like underneath, like they got this network, you know, of mycelium mm. connecting them and sending signals to like let them know, like, oh, like this guy's dying. Let's send some water or uh, 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 root supports over here. Right. You know, it's the same deal. It's like when uh, one of us is dying, it's like we got a bunch of people around us to be like, yo, like let's engulf this fool and uh, mm. just try to help him out. You know, let's like get, let's try to give them what they need. You know, they need you need a little cash or whatever you need some food you need to go you need a ride to uh like an event or a meeting uh like let's get this fool hooked up you know what what are some of the struggles that you deal with right now struggles that i deal with today um well <clears throat> kind of looking for a new job uh uh or a new company i should say uh i'm an arborist and so i like you know i, I prune and cut down trees and i climb and i operate buckets and stuff and I really like the job, but the company that I'm working for, I'm not really that big a fan of. Uh, you know, they're trying, they're big, and, uh, you know, it's just like, I don't know, I'm going to say myself that would get me in trouble, but fucking, you know, I don't really like my boss, you know, he's, he's a little bit of a dick, and, uh, and you know, that's like a, that's definitely like a first world problem, you know, but like, <clears throat> uh, I don't like the way he handles his company, and uh, I don't like how little of progress I've made, uh, you know, in the past couple of years that I've been working here. And so, uh, looking for, you know, a new job, uh, financially, uh, I'm kind of tripping about, I got uh, a trip to Sundance over in South Dakota coming up here in the uh, second week of July. And so I'm like, thinking like, man, like, do I have enough? You know, did I, did I stack up some overtime and like, you know, uh, enough to like get there and back, you know, cause it's like, with this Sundance deal, like I made a commitment where I knew the consequences of not making it to this thing. And it's like, apparently like really bad shit happens to people who don't fulfill their obligation here. So I'm like, okay, like I'm going there. I what do you mean by that? Um, so, well, there are some like horror stories in it where it's like every time somebody doesn't fulfill their commitment to this thing, um, <clears throat> Like, they will get in, like, a fucking motorcycle crash, or they will lose their kids, or they'll act in some funky fucking... There's, like, some weird cosmic consequence shit to it. And it's like, okay, like, that's brutal. Uh, you know, like, in my mind, my mind, when I agreed to the obligation, I was like, okay, that's some, like, brutal shit. But, like, uh, Sundance is about praying for people, and it's about, uh, you know dancing for people that can't dance and taking some of the weight off of people, you know, hopefully, hopefully trying to make people, um, I mean, really just, just praying for their health, you know, trying to make it. So there's another contribution that might, you know, make somebody a healthier person. Um, and so, 
yeah, like the, what I've heard is that like if you don't fulfill your obligations, like something bad is going to happen to you and your family. And so there's a little bit of worry in that, you know, but I agreed to it and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure my obligation is fulfilled. Um, let's see. Hmm. I don't know. I, uh, I, I mean, I guess it's a perspective thing. I, for me, I don't really think I have all that many problems. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, a slob. I'm a slob, right? You know, my house is always kind of a little messy. And so... Do you live alone? I live alone, yeah. yeah. Uh, I got my first apartment for myself back in 2021. And I was like, man, I ain't got no roommates. I can walk around the house naked. Like, I can do whatever I want here. And, uh, you know, that has its ups and downs. It's like the up is that I don't got no roommates bothering me or staying up till hella late in the morning so I can't get to work in the morning. You know, I had to deal with that when I was living with roommates. But the downside is that I have no accountability where I live, right? And so it's like I can just kind of do whatever I want. I can be a slob. I can I can fuck shit up. And then it gets to a point where that's, like, so, like, obnoxious that I just, like, start clean everything up and then I start feeling better and I forget and then I, the house is a mess again and it's just, like, all this stuff. It's just, like, regular people shit, really. Um, <laughs> yeah. I got, like... Regular people, first world problems, you know. Um, and I really, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's all I can really think of, you know, yeah. in the moment. Maybe something will crop up, you know, as we're talking. Yeah. But. Are you a religious man? Because you talked about your father being religious. I see the, you're wearing a cross. Yeah, so, well, I got this cross. Uh, <clears throat> where did I get this? I liked it. Uh, I just liked it. Mm. I got it at the Fremont Sunday Market. I I go to like uh, like Compline on Sundays. I don't know if either of you have been to, been to Compline. It's the mm. last evening service uh, for uh, the Episcopal Church. Uh, it's at St. Mark's Lutheran, and uh, uh, over there on Tenth uh, Avenue. Yeah, yeah, over, yeah, yeah, yeah. over on Tenth. Yeah, yeah, it's at nine thirty on Sunday nights, and um, I go there, and like there's this uh, there's just monks like. Mm. Chanting yeah. and, and singing and meditating. They've been on it's NPR, been, right? Or they like seeing it's, uh, yeah. it's a I don't live. Know if they've been on NPR, but uh, yeah. it's like King King. Sorry, they're on radio. Yeah, they're on the radio. Yeah. They got like a like a podcast. There, uh-huh. I don't know if they're on Spotify, but um, like you can you can go back and like listen to yeah. the to the prayers and um, uh, and it's really like that's a spot where I just like get into it and start like you know, cultivating a relationship with God, right? Like when I'm when I'm going through some like real, you know, tough, like uh, just like thinking about myself, like getting into myself real hard and creating problems, right? It's like I go there and I just pray for everybody else and I pray for strength and I pray for direction. I pray for guidance, you know, and I pray for the willingness to uh, carry out God's will, you know, whatever that may be, that will usually being like going out and helping somebody you know and so uh you know i just go there and afterwards i'm not sure why but i fucking have this inspiration to do better and so i do you know i just like the next day i'll go out and just like commit a random act of kindness or i'll i'll go to a meeting and help set up or uh you know i'll call a friend whatever it is you know and it's just like incrementally uh, building a habit of uh, being the man that I respect, you know. So yeah, well, because you know, th- my program is it's spiritual, not religious. Yeah, like I I look for those places where I can get that inspiration, 
And like for me, sometimes it comes like out in nature. I'll go mm-hmm. on like runs around my neighborhood and there's some beautiful flowers and sure. different gardens and stuff that I'm running past. And I just, I get that. And then at, when that's done, mm-hmm. then I just feel so inspired to just like, I feel centered. I feel balanced. Yeah. And it's like, we all have those like sanctuaries that we go to, you know, they're all different though. Yeah. So in terms of religion, um, I don't think I, I don't think I concede to any particular religion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as for like Christ or whatever, uh, I believe that he had some access to some stuff mm. that uh, that a lot of pe- other people couldn't see. Uh, I don't think Christ was like God or anything, but I'm not gonna get into all that. Like it's just, uh, I believe there was some power there. Yeah, and that's about the extent of it. I, so when you bring up uh, Saint Mark's, um, I was baptized there uh, after my mom found a bag of weed in uh, my room. <laughs> She thought that it was a direct correlation with uh, lack of religion and God in my <clears throat> life. And so I agreed to participate in going to church. Mm. I remember waking up uh, many a Sunday mornings and going to church and tasting that wine and feeling better. Yeah, And I just remember St. Mark's being a place that, like, for me, there was something special about that that church that was like a dwelling experience. Something in there was more. So I saw Desmond Tutu there. Oh, really? Yeah, Desmond oh. Tutu came, and he, there was something that I'll never forget. I was way up in the Raptors that day. But I remember looking down, and he 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 was walking through the church, and he and he's walking through, and there was just this aura and this energy about him, this power mm. that was something that I'd never seen or, like, felt through another person. And I just remember St. Mark's has brought, brought a lot of, spiritual experiences for me and uh it's just it's an interesting uh place uh for spiritual uh experiences in my life and so a lot of people keep like they got a meeting over there sometimes uh, t- uh tuesday nights mm-hmm. they yeah. got a meeting yeah yeah, yeah. tuesday yeah. nights and yeah nucks and and so i've yet to go there to the new uh new spot but um so with what's your daily routine? Do you have a daily spiritual routine? Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> uh, when I get up in the morning, I got this. Uh, well, I set uh, little alarms on my phone to remind me to pray or meditate or whatever the case may be. Um, but when I get up in the morning, at whatever time that may be, I usually get up at around six, six thirty uh, on work days. Um, before I look on my phone. You know, except to turn the alarm off uh, before I get out of bed to go do my little bathroom stuff. Uh, I just say a little prayer. I say my little uh, third step prayer, you know, uh, relieve me of the bondage of self and, uh, you know, let me be useful to another human being mm-hmm. that other people could witness it and do the same. And and I do that prayer. <clears throat> then I'm at work. Uh, you know, I, I, got, I got my little coffee. Usually I don't eat breakfast. Uh I got my little coffee and I'm like amped up and jittery and ready to go cut some trees down. And, uh, and I do my little prayer at 10 o'clock, do my little prayer at 12 o'clock. Uh, I get off work. I'll usually go to a meeting afterwards or, uh, uh, sometimes I'll just go home and, you know, cause my job is pretty strenuous on my body. I'll just, you know, take it easy, relax. But, uh, I, uh, I got like a, pretty solid meeting schedule i go to the same ones just about every week you know like uh uh tuesdays are filled wednesdays are filled thursdays are filled and saturdays are filled and 
you know, I just make time to go and see my people and uh, try to, you know, hear something that might be valuable to somebody else that I can pass on, say something that might be valuable to anybody, somebody else. Um, <clears throat> and I usually go to bed, you know, uh, before I get into bed, I just, you know, I say thank you to God, you know, for my day. Thanks for another day sober. Sometimes I skip that part, but uh, I'm usually doing it. That's uh, that's dope how you set your timer on your phone. Because, yeah. Like, yeah. I know other religions and cultures and stuff. Like I have this coworker, he's Indian. He gave me this little thing. It's like a, you put it on your finger and it's like, it reminds you because he said they had to say like a thousand prayers a day. Whoa. For his culture. Yeah. It was, it might even be more than a thousand. It was like 5,000. It was a crazy amount of prayers. Whoa. But then you got like Muslims who like pray five times a day, like religiously. Mm. Cause like I've been noticing, I need to start doing something like that because my mind has been like, I'll just reach for like social media or I'll, I'll yeah. reach for like my phone and just look at the news or look whatever it is. And yeah. it's like, my mind is not on God and my mind is not on peace and serenity. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that thing is, uh, do you exercise? Uh, so with my job, yeah, it's like I'm forced to, it's like I'm yeah. lifting logs. You're paid you know? to lift logs. Pretty much, yeah. yeah like yeah. David Goggins, you know. That's what I'm saying. The boat carry the boat and the logs. <laughs> Come on, but <laughs> I brought it full circle. You see, guys, see that? Man, I'm saying, I'm saying, zoned in today. No doubt. Hey, yeah, yeah that's what's up. Uh, but yeah, so uh, I, I try to go to the gym sometimes. You know, it's like I'm, I don't, I haven't built a habit of it. You know, it's like actually. So this last six months, um, what got me started on this like really thorough path to like discovering God, building a relationship with God and the people around me was a breakup. Um, mm. And it was like fucking horrible. It's like I had built my world around this girl and it's like we had been dating for like five months or something and we were like, we're going to have the kids. We're going to fucking move into the farm. We're doing all this stuff, you know, and like, and it was real, real intense, and real short and, uh, and I hadn't experienced anything like it and I was just like, what the fuck happened? What happened? What happened? And, uh, it's like, why did I let this happen? How could I let this happen? What were all of the things that led up to this happening? And, you know, I, uh, I went on, like, uh, I knew a couple of friends who were, like, in Codependence Anonymous. And, um, and I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. Like, you know, I'll, I'll try it out. And, you know, I was, I was doing my AA stuff. And I kind of, I was half-assing my AA stuff. And uh uh program stuff and uh they said in that it was like yeah if you don't have your like alcoholism in check it's like you probably shouldn't start this because you might drink you know and so i was like oh, okay like i deterred and so i was like okay well i'll get back into my you know i'll get back into these recovery halls and and uh you know try to do this deal for real and i got a new sponsor and uh it was weird it was like i met my sponsor the day after the breakup, he works with my mom and they were like in a, like a transitional period where they were like moving to a new building or something like that. And like, they just happened to be walking by the job that I was on for that day. Mm. It's oh. like, we go to a, like a new job, like almost every day or a new site to cut, cut people's trees. And they just happened to be going by the, the job that I was going by and I was raw and I was fresh. And I was like, I need God. And, uh, this dude was like, Okay, well, I've 
got a relationship with God that's kind of tight, you know? And, like, he's got all this stuff. He's got, like, you know, kind of like the white picket fence, you know, wife, kids, yeah, relationship with God, cool job. He's, like, a farmer, and, you know, it's like I've been, I wanted to be a farmer with fucking wife and kids. And, uh, you know, like, for a long time, like, yeah, five, six years. And so I was like, that's my guy. He's got all the stuff that I want. And so uh, we started doing the thing. And <clears throat> he gave me real clear-cut instructions, read our literature, do the things it says to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was cool. like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, this is exactly what I needed to have happen. You know, because if I had been in this relationship, um, you know, even today, it's like I wouldn't have had the discovery of, like, what my higher power wants for no. me. Uh, or I probably wouldn't mm-hmm. be here talking to you guys today. No. You know, and trying to like spread these seeds, and it's like, oh, like all of that has a good purpose, right? It's like I'm actually taken care of here, you know, and that's the relationship that I have with my higher power. It's like I'm not here, like, um, you know, uh, unaware that uh, everything happens for a reason, you know, I'm here, like, okay, like I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust God. You know, <laughs> yeah. God's everything that. or God's nothing. God is everything or God is nothing. Right? Every day. Every day. And, you know, like the way that I'm seeing things right now, God is everything. Um, it didn't used to be like that. <laughs> yeah. It didn't? Yeah. No, yeah. no, God was like, I don't feel like, who are you, bro? Yeah. Like, what is Get this? out of here. Like, I'm, I'm with you, to... but I'm like, nah, wait, like, uh, come on, this guy again? <laughs> this bro, seriously. Guy again? <laughs> or even you being here today, just spreading your roots and yeah. like you're talking about, bro, like cultivating community and just like, that's what we're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, we want to have you back sometime and just, yeah. you know, we're creating family and community here, so... Yeah, and we really appreciate you coming through. Yeah, Absolutely. man. It's Riley, my pleasure to be here. It's been hey, it's exciting to have you here. And uh, thank you for coming and sharing your story, brother. We uh, we really appreciate it. Sober Champs, uh, Mondo, thanks for uh, an, uh, another opportunity here at Color Studios. And, uh, man, we love you, man. Thank you, Riley. Love thank you, guys. Riley. Appreciate right, you having me on. Thank you. Yeah.